Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back to Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on buffalorumblings.com and everywhere else you go to get your podcasts. My name is John Boccasino, and we appreciate you taking some time to join us here on the program. Welcoming on my co-host, Jamie D'Amico. We're going to have a fun, action-packed episode for you. We appreciate uh, Jamie coming on to share his expertise as well. Jamie, how are we doing today? I'm doing fine, but expertise, my God, you're going to build up people's expectations that I couldn't possibly live up to. But hey, um, thanks for the kind words. They always say that the uh, the host is supposed to set up the co-host for uh, uh, success. In this case, I want to have that whole thing of lowered expectations with you, but the opposite. So people expect everything and they get nothing. So it's up to you whether you deliver on that or not. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, <laughs> come and get me on Twitter once again, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <clears throat> As we've said several times, we really want our fans to, uh, to get involved, to engage with us. You can go find us on social media at Buff Rumblings. You can also find myself at John Boccasino and Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico, D-A-M-I-C-O. So as we sit here, Jamie, it's officially the offseason. We have a non-New uh, England Patriot Super Bowl champion, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, picked up the win in Super Bowl 54. And how great does that feel, the fact that the title does not reign in Foxborough? It's it's a nice change of pace. And frankly, I, I'm happy for Andy Reid. This is a long time coming for that guy. He's uh, treated his players and assistant coaches well through the years. And, you know, the <laughs> the big knock on him was that he couldn't win the big game. And, well, he did. So it was great to see that dude walking around looking like a walrus and celebrating. Yeah, what a what a scene that was <clears throat> from, uh, from downtown Kansas City when they were celebrating their parade, their championship. Uh, the Chiefs rallied from three times being down 10 points or more <clears throat> in the postseason to claim their first uh, championship in 50 years. And, you know, Jamie, as we're sitting here in the offseason, you know, the draft is still a ways away. Free agency is still about six weeks away. There's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to what, you know, the team is going to do with their salary cap space, how they're going to address some of the weaknesses. Today, I thought it'd be really fun to do a deep dive into the tight end position, which we know is filled with some pretty promising up and comers led by Dawson Knox. Uh, Tommy Sweeney, we're not really quite sure what to make of him. Uh, due to really not appearing that much during his rookie season. And then there are the question marks <clears throat> with Tyler Croft, uh, who has battled injuries the last two seasons and really didn't contribute much of anything this year. And there's, of course, the veteran blocker and uh, a guy that you're a big fan of for his leadership, Lee Smith. When you look at the state of this tight end position, before we get to addressing some specific ways they can get better, how do you feel this unit stacks up heading into the offseason? Heading into the offseason, I, I think you've got some workable pieces on it. I think that Tyler Croft is actually a 
he's fairly refined and I think he's pretty good. And Dawson Knox has a lot of talent, but there's, you know, there's a lot that has to come together between now and the beginning of next season in order for me to feel really good about them. Uh, if I were to give them a grade this year, it would probably be a C. Uh, I, there were a lot of dropped balls. There was a lot of penalties. There was, you know, some left to be desired uh, when it comes to blocking. But I think that they can improve on this season. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's definitely room to improve. I think that this is an area that is a sneaky area of need. You know, as much as I want to expect uh, Tyler Croft to make a comeback and to really contribute uh, when it comes to this position next year, I feel like Buffalo is well served to take some of that money in salary cap space and go after a big name, a guy like a Greg Olson, who I know is 35 years old. He's older. He'd be the oldest man uh, in the room. I think he'd be the oldest offensive player on the team team, uh, if I'm not mistaken, along with maybe tie-in Shecky, I think is also up there at 34, 35. But I feel like you can never have enough healthy tight ends. And when it comes to Buffalo, if they could go out there and spend, you know, four, five, maybe even six million dollars on a one-year deal for Olsen, I feel like he'd be a really good addition. But I feel like in general, something needs to be done because, you know, Lee Smith is is hurting the Bills, I think, more than he's helping us. It's it's funny, though, uh, Jamie. There's two schools of thought. There's people that are vehement defenders of Lee Smith, and there's people that hate the guy and think he needs to go you know, with a, with a passion. So where, where do you fall on that spectrum? You know, it's interesting because it's a lot like offensive linemen where you really don't consider them unless you see them completely pancake somebody or there's a penalty called on them. And Lee Smith was a penalty magnet this year. Now, does that erase what he did as a blocker? He's a tenacious blocker. And on the other hand, he's also, you know, in addition to being a leader on the team and in the locker room, he's a tough guy. And I don't think that you can have enough of those on your team. You know, he's right up there with uh, a couple of the dudes on the offensive line. They say that Cody Ford likes to mix it up. And the right guard, John Feliciano, he's a tough guy. I feel like he and Lee Smith are kind of uh, birds of a feather there. Now, my feeling on him, though, is why was it getting a lot of holding called against him? Usually players start holding when they're losing. And if he's losing at the point of attack where he's blocking, that tells me that perhaps age is catching up with him. And if that happened this season, I can only see it getting worse next year. He's absolutely abysmal in the passing game because he can't really move and his hands aren't the best. Uh, I I think that I've moved on from Lee Smith from thinking his signing was a great one to thinking that two and a half million dollars a season is probably better used elsewhere. Yeah. And, and when you look at the number of penalties that he did have for holding, I know that it gets magnified by the fact he had three against the Patriots in that one game at home at the end of September. But even taking those numbers out of the equation, he still did not have a solid uh, season. He committed way too many penalties for my liking. And I feel like the Bills could easily move on and spend that money elsewhere. I believe uh, he has a cap hit of three and a quarter uh, for 2020. And if he's cut, there's a $1 million uh, amount in dead money. So if they do cut him, the Bills could save $2.25 million towards the cap, which I agree with you. I think is much better spent other areas of this team, again, leading back to you know Greg Olson or some other free agent. But we talk about Lee Smith. We think we both agree that he needs 
to uh, to go. He's not really giving any value add for this team. How about the big splashy signing last year in Tyler Croft? Where do you stand on his future? He's an interesting subject for me because he was a third stringer when he was in Cincinnati and he was coming off of an injury, broken foot specifically. And I was kind of curious why you would spend that much on a guy who was a third stringer. And when he finally got on the field at the end of the season after after re-injuring his foot and then having a second injury on top of that, what we saw was a guy that didn't make a huge impact in the passing offense, but was he was more than serviceable in every aspect of the game. He was blocking well. He was shedding his uh, blockers and getting to the second level decently. He was running decent routes, and you know he had a, a big touchdown grab against Pittsburgh, which. If you remember, the other tight ends and the offensive linemen just went nuts when he caught that because they were so happy for the guy. Now, I think that he is actually an integral part of the locker room. And despite his cap hit, I think that he's a guy that you probably want to keep around unless he gets injured again. I would bring him into training camp and see where he takes us. Uh, If he's the kind of guy who is going to find himself injured again, or he's coming down the depth chart uh, once you, you know, stack it up against the other guys they bring in. Uh, you know, Then you consider either trading or getting rid of him, but I think that's going to be a, a difficult salary to move. It's, it's over $4 million uh, this upcoming season, and that's a lot for a guy that might end up on the bench. If you ask me, Jamie, I really, listen, I'm intrigued by the potential um, of what he can bring if he is healthy. But the fact of the matter is he's had the same type of injury uh, to his ankle each of the last two years. This year, I know it took a while for him to get back onto the field and get healthy. I just don't necessarily know if we need to be patient and wait around for him to fully establish himself as being a healthy option, especially when you crunch the numbers. He has a $6.4 million cap hit in 2020. And if you extrapolate that over the next two years, if the team gets rid of him before March 22nd, when the bonuses kick in for the upcoming league year, they can save $11.66 million over the next two years. That is not chump change. That is not insignificant. And I know there's the athletic prowess that he brings to the field, but I just feel like this is, again is a situation where if you reallocate this money wisely, give some of it to Greg Olson coming in on a free agent deal and put some of this away for the rash of in-house free agents that Buffalo is going to have in the coming years, I just feel like it's a much more prudent course of action than committing to a guy who we just keep waiting for that tomorrow to get brighter and it really never seems to be the case. I think that it's going to have a lot to do with what he shows in the off-season program, I think that they're going to save him or save cutting him until much later. If he's a guy that's in there working really hard, taking a leadership role, you know that's the kind of that's the kind of process guy that they like and would probably bite the bullet on the salary if he seemed like a person who's leading by example. Now that leads us to another player, the guy who got seventy percent of the tight end snaps this season. What are your thoughts on Dawson Knox? 
love him. <clears throat> I love his. I love what he brings to the table. I love his ability to truck guys when he gets open in the open field. I love his ability to make the big grabs. I really feel like the third round pick is the future of this position for for Buffalo. He has a great rapport with Josh Allen. He's somebody who really can be counted upon. And if you bring in again, I'm going to say it for the third time, a guy like Greg Olson. It's a great one-two punch. Jamie, I'm going to drop some knowledge on you right here for a second because I feel like. This needs to be said. We talk about the injury-prone abilities of uh, Tyler Croft. I want to compare these two players. Player A is Croft. Player B is Greg Olson. Since the start of 2016, they've both been hampered with injuries. They've both played the exact same amount of games, 46. Croft, with his injury-prone label, has 62 catches, 603 yards, and eight touchdowns. Over that same time, Olsen has 176 catches, 2,152 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Now, the TDs are comparable. Croft is more of a red zone threat in the stage of his career than Olsen is. But you look at the catches, there's 114 more grabs for Olsen and 1,500 more receiving yards. So to me, when you put those two numbers side by side, pair up Olsen, the veteran, with Knox, the youngster, and you've got a great combination. You you make a compelling argument there. And uh, I'm completely enamored by the athleticism of Dawson Knox. He's the guy who came out of college with very few receptions because when he was in school, they just didn't throw to the tight end, whether it were him or anybody else. And He's a guy that plays through the whistle. You see him pushing and shoving and blocking guys until the play is really long over. And that's the type of nasty streak I love seeing. He's physical out there. He's a strong guy. And when you talk about him trucking people, one of the most exciting moments of the season to me was when he caught the pass on the left sideline against Cincinnati and he proceeded to run over two guys and I'm sitting there screaming to myself, Oh my God, don't do that. Those guys, children might be watching. It was horrible <laughs> for them, but great for us to watch. Uh, and you, you see his ability to get open because he's, he ran a, like a four, six or four, six, five at the combine, which wasn't real high, but he seems to move really well with pads on that being the in-game speed. And it seems that linebackers have a hard time keeping up with him. Also, he's got great hair (laughs) and there is a big, but when it comes to this guy, he drops the damn ball. He had a 12% drop rate this year, which was the highest amongst all tight ends in the NFL. Now you can see what the problem is. Like you, you can visually see why it is that he drops the ball. It's because he turns his eyes upfield. Now I've argued all season long that it's because the game is moving fast for him because he's a rookie and you know he's he's thinking about what his next move is going to be as opposed to allowing the game to slow down watch the ball come into his hands and turn from there well you would think that that would have been corrected by the end of the season and it wasn't that is a concern i don't think he has bad hands i think he has bad eyes he just needs to get those under control and i think that you would be talking about a far better than average, maybe even like a top 10 to 15 tight end, if he would just stop diverting his eyes before the ball is safely in his hands. Now, you make a point. Would somebody like Greg Olson be a a good influence on him? Well, 
Olsen is considered, uh, you know, he's considered a, a veteran who's a, a great leader. Well, they have that on this team. Is that necessary for Knox to take the next step? I don't know. And, and I will say, Jamie, that um, the drop rate is startling when it comes to to Knox and what he did uh, during his rookie year. Now, then again, it is a small sample size. He did have you know 28 receptions for 388 yards, but when you factor in of those 28 receptions and 50 targets, he had 10 drops, which means 20% of the passes thrown his way as an official target. He did not come away with that. Is a problem. That's something that needs to concern you know Bills fans moving forward. But I feel like, you know, there really wasn't anyone to be that veteran presence leader as a receiver uh, for the tight end room last year because Lee Smith is not someone to be taken seriously as a receiving threat. So if he gets someone who's a mentor who can come in and say, hey, look, you know, he's great with yards after the catch. He had 144 of his 388 receiving yards came after the catch, which means he does have, when he comes down with the ball, a good ability to get separation and get extra yards after the catch. But you've got to come away with the catch in the first place. I think those problems can be fixed. I think they can be remedied. Just need some time with this offseason to get more familiar with the offense. Because again, there must have been a lot of pressure on the kid coming in, knowing that with the injuries, he's probably going to be the de facto number one heading into this past season. It's true. He was not supposed to be a starter. In fact, he was probably supposed to be a third stringer coming in behind Croft and Lee Smith. But man, did he get thrust into the limelight once Croft got hurt. And, you know, obviously Lee Smith is not a starter. He's he's a role player. Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. Those with ambitious, out of reach ideas begging to become real solutions They share a vision for how our world and our lives can thrive when bold thinking meets strong silicon. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy through the power of supercomputing. They dream of trust and privacy for all, of advancing and expanding education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to build something better, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. Now, continuing this conversation, Jamie, we've talked about uh, the current guys on the team, and I've mentioned this guy's name several times. Greg Olson recently concluded his visit to Western New York. He said he was blown away by the interest shown in him by both the Bills and other teams after Carolina parted ways with the veteran. Where do you stand on the former Pro Bowl tight end? Should he come to Buffalo? Well, uh, that's you know that's tough to say. He averaged over sixty nine receptions six years in a row. He had four consecutive thousand yard seasons. And then he's been hampered the past few years with injuries, specifically foot injuries. What do we know about him? Well, great leader, great locker room guy, um, all around good citizen. But is he able to recover from those injuries? If the answer is yes, and the only people who are going to know the answer to that is the Buffalo Bills medical staff. If the answer is yes, you bring him in. You bring him in on a one-year contract. But keep in mind, he's 35 years old. That is really old for a very physically demanding position. People don't really... I I don't think people 
quite realize the difficulty of playing tight end in the NFL because it's often thought of as a pass catching position, but it's really a hybrid between an offensive lineman and a wide receiver. So you have far more responsibilities than most players on the team. Now, when you've been around for a long time and you've been very productive, yeah, you understand that and you can probably um, you can probably express the finer points of that to guys like Dawson Knox and Tommy Sweeney. But where does it stand with uh, with the injuries? You know, last season he uh, he was targeted 82 times. He came away with 52 receptions for uh, just under 600 yards. Now that's more productive than all of the Bills' tight ends combined. But we also expect him to take a step back as he's another year older. I think you roll the dice on him if you can get him for say six million dollars with incentives on top of that, you go ahead and do that for this year. Uh, Do you want to sign him beyond this year? That might be what it takes in order to get him through the door. But if I'm Greg Olson looking at it through a different lens and I'm getting, I'm getting interest from Washington, which, you know, doesn't excite me, although he could play for his former head coach, Ron Rivera there. And it sounds like Seattle has poked their head into the, uh, into the mix if I'm him, I'm probably looking at going to Seattle with a more refined quarterback and a team that looked like one of the best teams in the NFC this this past year because I want another Super Bowl. If I'm Buffalo, I try to get him at a reasonable cost. If it becomes a bidding war, no thanks. Seattle has other competition out there too, including <clears throat> Jacob Hollister, who had a really solid second half of the year for them at tight end. But to me, if it's if it's Greg Olson, I, I get excited to come to Buffalo because you get a chance to mentor, again, a young kid uh, in Dawson Knox. He's familiar, I imagine, with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott from their time in Carolina. And I, I don't know, you can't underestimate for a guy like Olson the chance to step in and be a proven leader in the locker room. He could seamlessly replace what Lorenzo Alexander brought to the table in that leadership role with a veteran's retirement. And he could step in and be that veteran presence right away where people turn to him. And and I think the chance to be a part of a team that's up and coming like Buffalo would really be exciting for a guy like Olsen. Now, obviously, money's going to come down to it. And I agree. I would want to see a one-year maybe a $5 million contract, two years at the most um, for a 35-year-old who, yes, he's had foot injuries. He had a broken foot twice. He's had a ruptured plantar fascia as well mixed in there. So he's really had problems staying healthy. But again, he produced better than any of Buffalo's tight ends combined uh, did during 2019. So for me, I roll the dice. I bring him in. I think it's one of those low-risk, high-reward kind of moves where, again, the team has cap space it has the room to make this move. I say go out there, find a way, bring him in. If it's a one or even a two-year deal, I think it's worth the uh, worth the risk. You look at what they paid for Tyler Croft, who is eight years younger, and you got none of the productivity you were expecting. So why not roll that money over and bring in a veteran who, even though he's been injured, I'm sure he wants to shed that label and go out there a winner for the last couple of years of his career. I thought Croft was an overpay from the beginning. I, I feel like the Bills were probably negotiating a against themselves for that one. Uh, I I see the point that you're making. If he wants to be a mentor type, if he wants to consider getting into coaching after football, that's, you know, something that he may, may relish in. But I I think when it comes to post football, it's pretty, 
well known that Greg Olson has announced or written all over him. He's uh, he's very media friendly. It'll be interesting to see what happens. He left Buffalo without a contract, and that makes you wonder if he was unimpressed or if he just wants to make his rounds. Now, here's the other side of it. If I'm a veteran, if if I'm his age and you're lazy like I am, I would probably wait. I would probably put off signing until well after training camp begins because I've, I've been in the league since 2007. I don't need another training camp. I know, I know how to play football at this point. I just want to, you know, save my body a little bit, not deal with that. And, you know, maybe a third of the way through camp decide to sign somewhere. Although that's not what a real leader would do. Yeah, that's the difference between you and the uh, the guys out there trying to make the 53-man rosters. They're motivated to get out there and bust it every single day while we put it out there once a week as part of our podcast here during the offseason. But those have been our thoughts so far on what we think Buffalo will do with the tight end position. Now, before we put a big bow on this podcast for the week, I want to touch really quickly on some news that came out where for me as a season ticket holder and Jamie, for you as someone who goes to games whenever you get a chance, I when you're up in up in Western New York, uh, the Bills announced that after their most successful season in two decades, there's going to be a slight increase in ticket price uh, for season tickets and for season long parking passes. This is not unexpected because, as we know, as more teams you know find success and find victories, they're going to pass on uh, the expenses to the fans. And and Buffalo has been very lucky for a while in having a relatively inexpensive. Uh, price to pay for the product. But to me, Jamie, I don't know, this signals and the, and the prices are not that drastic. Uh, some are going to be raised by just $1 per game. Others are going to go up by $13 a game. The average season ticket price is still going to be well under $100 per game. And the bills are one of only three franchises that has that figure under $100 per game. So no matter how you slice it or dice it, the bills are still an affordable uh, opportunity for entertainment in Western New York, but to me, I just wonder—you know—when, how much is too much? How much is going to is it going to take where they price out the average fan? And you know, it adds up. You know, one dollar a game times eight home games is only eight dollars, but then parking's going to go up. You figure concessions are going to go up. So to me. Is this the start of something where the Bills start to price out the average fan uh, who wants to go to the games? I think that's a legitimate concern because Buffalo is traditionally a, a bit more of an economically depressed area than many of the other metropolitan areas where NFL teams are located. But the truth of the matter is everything goes up in price, and that includes their expenses as well. I don't think that the bills are price gouging at this point, and uh, I think they have a long way to go before they get to that point. I think that the stadium is leaves a lot to be desired, and if they do build a new downtown stadium at some point, you'll probably see a massive jump in ticket prices. But I think in order to remain economically viable, in order to pay their employees, to pay all for all the services that take place on game days... I think that it's reasonable to expect some modest price jumps. $8 a game, um, you know, that ends up coming out to be $64 a season. I, I can deal with that. Now, granted, I am probably in a slightly better economic position than other people because I'm a little bit older. I don't have any children. And, you know, I'm also living in a, a larger area where, you know, the, the jobs probably pay a little bit more than they do in Western New York. 
That being said, um, I, I would hate for some of the younger fans to not get the experience if its prices start going up, but I'm not worried about it yet. If they were to do this consecutive season, say three years in a row, I would start to say, hey, what's going on here? But in the meantime, I I think it's a safe price jump. Well, to put it in perspective, Jamie, from last year's team when they were 6-10, and heading into the offseason, tickets rose by an average of 2.1%. So this year, it's a 4.6% increase uh, across the board. So obviously, that's a little bit higher than maybe people were expecting. Again, success breeds uh, more costly product on the field. And you're right, though. If the Bills were to go with a downtown stadium, their ticket prices would skyrocket. And as of right now, it seems like the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell are happy with Buffalo putting their money into renovating New Era Field versus putting a brand new stadium in downtown Buffalo. So it's a small price to pay. At least the Bills still are in Buffalo and have not been relocated to London or Toronto or Los Angeles like the rumors were from back in the day. Yeah, LA having two teams makes me feel far more comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and you also see the Jaguars getting two games over in London now, uh, starting next year, two home games, which makes you wonder if that's going to be a move where that team you know, splits time 50-50 between Jacksonville and Europe. Oh, man, that's, uh, that, that's a weird thought. And then, of course, Mexico City comes to mind because it has like 20 million people and the NFL would really like to go south of the border. Conversation for another time, but man, the NFL's desire to become international is uh, its pretty ambitious. It's up there with our desire to become international here as well on Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. Want to thank all of our friends and fans for checking out the uh, the show this week. Please make sure to go subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We, of course, encourage all sorts of feedback as well, both through the article on buffalorumblings.com and on social media. Make sure to get a hold of us with any possible show ideas moving forward, and we will gladly take those into consideration. For my colleague, Jamie D'Amico, I am John Boccasino signing off on Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com starts.